Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday school quote unquote hour. We hope we don't go that long. But um, anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in and watching. If you are watching to keep up with all of us, then God bless you for that. And I hope this is uh, something that blesses you and that nourishes your soul and glorifies God. If you were a teacher and you are listening to this as you make preparation for your Sunday school class, uh, I can't thank you enough. You uh, are kind of the heart and soul of the church. And there's so many times when you teach things and you answer questions and you minister to people and you uh, stay kind of have your hands on the pulse of the church. Uh, I, I just can't thank you enough for all of that, and I really appreciate it. And let me know if there's ever anything that I can do to help you or pray for you or pray for needs in your class or anything like that, because I certainly do want to help with all of that. I hope all of you had a good Easter last weekend. We enjoyed being together and worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> and then also the family time is certainly a, a good thing as well. And I hope you got to enjoy some things like that. We are looking this week again at another miracle that uh, the Lord Jesus performed. And I hope you're enjoying this, just taking some time to think about who he is and the things that he did and maybe get some insight into why he did them. And we're going to look at the healing of Peter's mother-in-law today. And we're in Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 29 through 31. Mark gives us kind of a condensed version of uh, nearly everything. Now, in this story, this is the introduction here, Jesus is certainly the focus. We don't ever want to lose sight of that. We can get so busy looking in the Bible and looking for us and how this applies to us and what we are supposed to do. And we sometimes, many times, most of the time, will miss the point of the scripture. Jesus is the focus of the scripture. And you can find that in the Old Testament as well as in the New. Look for Jesus. But um, as you think about this, understand that he's the only one that can heal. And this healing is indeed a miracle. Now, we're going to read about Peter's mother-in-law having a fever. And to us in 21st century America, a fever, well, that's too bad, but no big deal. No big deal. But back in the days when Jesus lived, a fever would uh, many times be deadly and certainly life-altering. They didn't have the medicines and think about the seizures that could happen and different things like that. And uh, so this is a, a work of God that Jesus did and that only Jesus could do. That's kind of the, the point. But can I also say this as we look at this, look at the other people that were involved and let's see how Jesus used them. And so Jesus is displaying his power and his love, but he's also showing us how we can be a co-worker or a co-laborer with the Lord Jesus Christ. You do realize the New Testament talks about us being co-laborers with the Lord. He works in us and he works through us to touch other people's lives. And that's certainly what happened here. So all the glory 
goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the, the work that the other people in this story did would mean absolutely nothing without him. You remember that uh, Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. He didn't say the flesh does little. He said it profits nothing. In fact, he said, um, apart from me, you can do nothing. When are we ever going to really get that? The Lord is not sitting in heaven going, oh, I wish somebody would do something for me and then things would really happen. That's not really uh, anywhere in scripture at all. What we find is that the Lord is at work and we are to find out where the Lord is working and then make ourselves available to him and to what he is doing and what he is planning to do. And that's what uh, we find that these people did. So pay attention to that as we read Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon, the apostle Peter, and Andrew, that was his brother, with James and John. Now, they weren't brothers to Simon and Andrew, but they were brothers to each other. You remember that. But Simon's wife's mother, let's just say Peter's mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever, and they told him, Jesus, about her at once. So he came, and he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. She went immediately to work after that happened. So a short, very sweet story here, but a powerful story as well. When I look at this story and I think about it, I uh, notice some things in here that uh, we'll talk about. Coming out of the synagogue seems to be important. Um, entering the house where the sick woman was, you know, and then going and telling Jesus and doing it at once. Those things are important. And then the personal touch that Jesus came. Let's, let's talk about these things and maybe we'll get some ideas about how we can work with the Lord and he can work through us, and also how we can be better servants of the Lord. And don't forget, we are also called to be servants of each other, servants of the church, servants of fellow church members, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, number one, a servant must first be a worshiper. Now we get that because they're coming out of the synagogue, Okay, they've been worshiping the Lord. They've been listening to the word of God. They've been singing psalms. They have been uh, fellowshipping together and having their sins to be confessed and things like that. And so this happens. And notice Mark always kind of has this sense of urgency when he would write these things as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, not a day later, not five days later, not a week later, but as soon as they came out of the synagogue. This is something that happened, let's just say, right after church. Okay, so they come in and uh, they've been worshiping the Lord. 
Now, this to me is important because I'm afraid that sometimes we have two extremes that we find in the church. Sometimes we're so excited that somebody gets saved or joins the church and they have a particular skill set or something, and we want to find something for them to do right away. Now, I'm not sure that's always a wise thing to do. We had uh, one church I was at, this man and his wife that came and, and joined, and they had been involved in Southern Baptist churches for years. They had been involved in various children's ministries, and uh, they were ready to go to work, ready to put their hand to the plow. And we needed workers at that time. We were a particularly small church, and we needed, needed people to go to work. And so uh, they jumped in with uh, both feet. Now, up until this point in the story, there's nothing really wrong with that, but it's going to get really, really bad. Let me tell you what happened. We notice that this uh, man in particular, he had a real problem with authority. He didn't like anybody telling him what to do. Now, he liked being in authority. Have you ever noticed that's kind of the way it always works? He liked being in authority. He did not like to be under authority. And uh, so he and the pastor started uh, kind of clashing over some things. Nothing really major, but just everything seemed to kind of irritate this guy. And uh, we, we sort of you know, uh, notice that uh, there was a, there was just a real problem here. He wouldn't listen. He wouldn't change. He wouldn't adapt. He was kind of uh, a little belligerent and stubborn on some things. And as a church staff, you can't help but notice that. He just wasn't the most cooperative person that you've ever been around. Not enough for you to really do anything about, not anything that would call for church discipline, at this point. Um, nothing like that at all, but just kind of a, uh, maybe we would say an irritating uh, type of thing. Well, there came a certain point, and I don't remember what the issue was, but I do remember it was right after a church service that um, in my memory seemed to have been a particularly good church service. And uh, this man and his wife were in the pastor's office, and I happened to be walking by about the time they came out, and it was obvious that things were not good. And uh, when they left, I asked about it, and the pastor said, well, they're leaving the church. And, um, you know, we were kind of uh, bothered by that and grieved over it. That was going to leave our, uh, particularly our RAs and GAs. Some of you are old enough to know what that mean, means in a, um, a children's ministry, in a particular uh, lurch. Someone not too long after that, that was a, a friend of ours, happened to call and say, is, and they mentioned this person's name, is he in your church? I've heard that he's in your church. And uh, we said, yeah, uh, he, he, he is. In, well, he was. And uh, this person said, it's a good thing that he left 
That man is a pedophile. Well, that was back in the days when you didn't hear about that very much. It's kind of like, what? Are you serious? And he started telling us about how that man had been in another town and had been, uh, well, he had to leave that town and leave that church because he had been arrested for being a, a pedophile. Now, that's back before you could check those things out as easily as you can right now. In fact, it probably back then, it never really dawned on us to even ask a question like that. Seemed like a good church guy. Seemed like he loved the Lord, loved kids. Well, you know, we didn't know. And uh, this person sent us newspaper clippings about this person. And um, it kind of turns out he was grooming one of the young men in our church. A young boy, I guess I should say. He was particularly a good-looking kid. He uh, uh, came from a a home where the mom was a single lady. And this guy was doing in our church what we read about in those newspaper clippings that he did to the other ones, having special meetings that only this kid was invited to and spending time alone with him and paying particular attention to him. And uh, so the clash with the pastor might have been a godsend because that ended that relationship. Well, I don't know exactly when it was, but uh, that guy uh, was arrested and spent a significant amount of time in prison for uh, child molestation and uh you know, just a horrible, horrible thing. Now, one of the things I learned from that was, had we been careful and maybe said, yeah, come join the church. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we're particularly happy to hear, you know, the talents and the gifts and the places that you've been serving. But let's wait a little while. We wouldn't want to be always operating in a a suspicious attitude necessarily, but we do want to be cautious. And I would say to somebody like that now, in fact, I have said it to people who have joined our church, just uh, take some time. Take some time to get to know people, to build some relationships. There was one particular person that uh, joined here and wanted to go to work uh, right away in... uh, children's work and that type of thing. And I said, you know, sometimes people are so busy working with the children, they don't make any real uh, adult or grown-up, maybe we should say, uh, relationships. So uh, go to a Sunday school class for a while and uh, sit in church and get to know people your own age in church. And then uh, maybe in a few months, we'll talk about, you know, getting you involved. Now, what I was doing is thinking about that situation that I told you about that was so horrible and thinking we kind of need to get to know people. We kind of need to have some time to watch them first and see, are they going to be faithful? Do they love the Lord? Are they building other relationships or is it just children? You understand what I'm saying? And uh, I do that because sometimes we take people and we put them to work And then we find out too late 
that either they're uh, not really saved or their doctrine is screwball or maybe they've got some moral problems or something like that. And so uh, if you ever hear anybody say, well, I went to such and such a church and man, I was able to just jump right in and they didn't have that experience here. Now you know why. Now you know why. And I think it's still a wise thing to do. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, it says, uh, I think that that tells us about them. These were people that loved the Lord. These were people that were serving the Lord. And um, we want somebody to be a worshiper and make sure that they are a true worshiper of God before we put them to work. Now, that doesn't mean they can't do something. And it doesn't mean that we hold them at arm's length or anything. We just need to be careful. And some things, of course, are more important than others. But I find it significant that Mark makes a point in his brief little uh, gospel here that they had just come out of the synagogue. This was evidently a regular habit that they had in their life. They had a, a walk with God and they were going there with Jesus, which really would matter, wouldn't it? And uh, then we have another extreme. Sometimes we have people that attend worship every time the doors are open, but they never seem to go to work. So if we have a worker who's not really a worshiper or we have a quote unquote worshiper that never seems to get to work, we've got two extremes of the same problem. These are people that are not committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ because Jesus gives us and puts us to work because to be saved is to serve. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, for even the son of man, even Jesus, he says, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, this is what Jesus did. This is what we ought to be doing. If we're going to be Christians, little Christ or like Jesus, then we are to be working. We're to be serving other people. And then in Matthew chapter 20, 20, verse 25, it says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Okay? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. See, the first thing we should have noticed about that pedophile is this guy's got a problem with authority. Now, he likes to exercise authority. He doesn't like to be under authority. Big time problem, according to what Jesus said. The great ones are the servants, not the masters, not the leaders, not the crack the whip, eyes get my way, push it until I get my way type thing. That's not, that's not the Jesus way at all. Ephesians 2, uh, 8, you know this one, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Okay, now we need the next verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So a servant we want them to be a worshiper, understanding that those who worship, who really worship God, get to work. They've been gifted with a spiritual gift. They have certain aptitudes. 
and uh, 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 desires and uh, all kinds of things. And I'm talking about godly things, of course. And so they want to be involved. They're never going to be happy being, a, as one person called it, instead of a couch potato in church, it's a pew potato. So that's number one. If we can get people to worship, we won't have any problem getting them to work. So that shows the deficiency. It's not that they won't work. It's that they're not really worshiping. Number two, a servant must be aware of others. The Bible says they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they noticed it. They had an awareness. A wise preacher once said, there is a heartache on every pew. Do you notice? Do you uh, sometimes have just that little hunch from the spirit that uh, causes you to uh, feel like you need to pray for someone or pray with someone? And do you do it? Do you ever have those times when you just feel impressed that you need to contact somebody or call somebody or send a card or a letter? And do you do it? Do you ever have those times when you feel like you need to make a visit or you need to take a meal to somebody or you need to take somebody out to eat or meet them for lunch or something? And do you do it? Uh, these guys came into the house and they were aware of the fact that Peter's mother-in-law was sick and they actually did something about it. Now, this is important, I think, in our culture because a lot of American culture is based upon appearance and assumption. And if somebody, what I mean by that is, if somebody appears to be okay, we make the assumption that they are. Well, no, because there's a heartache on every pew and not everybody comes into church down in the mouth and grumbling and griping. A lot of them come in and their heart is breaking, but they've got a big smile on their face. A lot of them come in and they would die before they would ever draw attention to themselves. And I can appreciate that because the attention really is supposed to be on Jesus. And sometimes the people that are the most busy ministering to other people are the ones who are hurting themselves. I've got one lady, I won't say her name, but a lady in our church that she is constantly constantly helping other people. Well, I happen to know that her heart is breaking most of the time. And uh, you would assume by being around her, she's got it all together. Well, that's not true. That's not true. I've had times even when I have preached and done what I'm supposed to do, and I was dying on the inside because of things that were going on. But you don't want to walk in and just simply say, okay, stop the world and stop the service. I've got a problem. And people that uh, love and walk with God generally don't call attention to themselves like that. And this is why we don't find anything here about Peter's mother-in-law calling attention to herself. Apparently, the other people noticed the situation. We've got to be better noticers, better discerners. And we've got to be aware of people around us because things are not always as they appear. Think about it like this. Those who appear to be rich may be drowning in debt. But when you look at the kind of clothes they wear, the cars they drive, the places that they go, they sure seem like they're doing well. Boy, if you could only see their MasterCard statement 
or their visa statement or something. If you could only see the stress that they are under, that's the way that we live. That's the way it is in your neighborhood. Some of the people that uh, their house is fixed up, their yard is fixed up, they're driving a nice car, and you go, boy, they must be doing well. Maybe not. Maybe not. They may be in debt up to their eyeballs. And so some people that you look at and it just seems like, boy, they raise their hands in church. They're smiling. They're praying. They know all the answers in Sunday school. And they may be getting ready to go through a divorce. They may be having trouble with a rebellious child. They may have an illness you don't even know about, maybe even terminal. Uh, We just can't take things for granted. And sometimes we give the impression that all is well. And because of that, we don't let other people into our lives. Our standard answer, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Maybe we need to find a way to be honest. We need to find a way to clue people in that we need some help and that we need them. And uh, that's something to pray about. I read one time where Chuck Swindoll said that he had a friend that got tired of saying, oh, I'm doing good, I'm doing well, I'm doing great. And he just started saying, I'm growing and learning, growing and learning. And that's true in just about every situation. And I suppose if you care, you might question further. Uh, We also understand that those who would serve Christ and others must be able to see past the facade and to discern needs, whether they're spiritual needs, emotional needs, maybe even physical needs, a financial need, might be just a relational need. In John chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. Okay? This woman at the well kind of had the appearance of one thing, but the truth was another. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said to me is true. And what we find here is the discernment of Jesus to get past the facade that the woman at the well wanted to put up. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. A religious man came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Well, that sounds nice. Nicodemus is putting on a good religious, pharisaical, self-deprecating kind of approach to Jesus, right? And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Probably could have been insulting a little bit to uh, Nick. And yet Jesus discerned what the real need was. May the Lord give us grace to be more aware and more discerning for the glory of God. Not nosy, not busybodies, not gossips, not anything, not prying and all of that, sticking our nose where it doesn't belong. Not that, not that, but to be true servants of God. Number three, a servant must realize where the power is. Notice the next phrase in the text. And they told him about her at once. That's kind of like going to prayer, isn't it? And notice that they didn't go to Jesus last after they tried everything else. 
They went to him at once. And the emphasis here, they went to him at once. They didn't let any grass grow under their feet. If you've got an opportunity to minister or to pray or something, do it. And uh, don't wait till a better time or anything. Do it. Do it now. Do everything you can now. Now, I know not always can you do everything now, but many times we can. And so often we put it off and then we forget about it. And the emphasis is at once. And they did not go to Jesus as a last resort. Well, we've tried everything else. I guess we ought to take this to the Lord. They didn't do that. We're so bad about that. And they realized that only Jesus could help her because this situation was dire. In those days, people died, as we said, of fever. And she lay sick. She's weak and bedfast. She is helpless. She is hopeless. And the Lord used these servants as kind of a link between himself and the one who suffered. And in a sense, I guess you could say they were praying for her. They were taking her need to the Lord, <clears throat> which is what we do whenever we pray for someone. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 John 3, 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, I would doubt that person is a Christian. That's what John is saying. And so we've got to be quick and we've got to uh, be aware and we've got to realize where we need to go and what we need to do in these situations as servants of God. And number four, notice here that Christ, who is the ultimate servant, we've already said, notice how personal he was. It says, so he came, took her by the hand, and lifted her up. Immediately the fever left her. Think about this. She saw his face because he came to her. She felt his touch. He took her hand and lifted her up. Notice how personal all of this is. And she hears his voice. Um, Luke chapter 4 verse 39 says he rebuked the fever. This just tells us that so often when we minister to people, we do it in an impersonal way. Sometimes it's easier to write a check and put it in the blessing bucket than it is to take somebody to lunch. You, you see what I mean? Sometimes it's easier to give to a charity than it is to actually invite somebody over to your house. Sometimes it's easier to give somebody some money instead of spending time with them. And I'm so glad that as Jesus gives us a, a pattern here, and while we can't do everything that Jesus did, of course, but we can do this one thing, we can be personal. We can be personally involved in the lives of other people. Sometimes we need to have more of a, maybe a hands-on approach. Maybe not so much assuming that, well, somebody will see it and somebody will do it. I mean, isn't that why we have a church staff? And isn't that why we have elders and deacons? Well, kind of, yeah. But if you think about what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, God gives pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's just church members, for the works of ministry. In other words, God intends for the work of ministry that we're talking about here not just to be done 
by those in charge or those with titles, but for everybody to be involved in all of this. And this is the personal touch. And notice that the conclusion of it is, and uh, she served them. She served them. What happened? Now she's taken what Christ has done for her, and now she's putting feet to it, which is kind of the point of this whole thing. Are you putting feet to everything you say you believe? Carrying the gospel to the lost, ministering to people who are in need, serving people in the church, doing work at the church, sure, but mainly doing the work of the church, wherever that might uh, happen, because that's what makes you really great in the kingdom of God. Remember that verse? That's what makes you like Jesus. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what the Lord calls on us to do as well. So uh, check yourself out on all of this. How are you doing in your servanthood? How are you doing in serving other people, especially those who can't do anything back for you. It's easy to serve someone who can give us a good business deal or who might give us a discount on a new car or uh, something like that. Easy to serve those kind of people. But sometimes we find ourselves checking um, our spirituality out by this. How do we treat people who can't do anything for us? Chuck Swindoll wrote a book probably 40 years ago called Improving Your Serve. If it's still available, you ought to get it and you ought to read it. It's one of the best books I've ever read. But as we do all of this, keep in mind the ultimate goal is to follow the pattern of Jesus. His miracle, he healed Peter's mother-in-law and look how he did it and look at the men who were co-laborers with the Lord in this situation. Thank you uh, so much for your time, and I hope this gives you some food for thought. And may the Lord bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.